Hello, my name is Janice Medlock. I've known Charles 20-some-odd years. Our families have both attended Bethel AME Church in Spokane. Charles has gone from uh, being the drummer in the choir, which he still is today, to being a mentor and an advisor to the youth of the church. He's worked in that capacity, in that ministry for many years. He also was director of the computer center at the Emanuel Family Life Center, which did an after-school program that made sure that the local area youth had a safe place to go after school and provided them a little after-school nourishment as well as a place to do their homework, to get help with their homework, and to just have a generally safe, thriving atmosphere after school. My sons have been affected greatly by this relationship. I have a 19-year-old who is coming to his own and he has seen the strength and the determination and what it takes to be a strong young black man in this community and that is thanks to Charles. All right. Welcome everybody to another episode of Equity Rising. I am your host Trey Holiday and So glad to have Charles Williams with me today of the Spokane area doing some amazing work out there. And honestly, Charles, you're the first guest that we're tapping into out there in the Spokane area. And we so appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule out there being an equity change maker to talk to our audience and to me about all the work that you're doing. So welcome, Charles. No doubt. No doubt. How you doing? Ah, doing well, doing well. And, you know, we love to start these episodes out with our first things first. We got to ask, how are you taking care of yourself? Man, so uh, COVID hit us hard. So my thing is taking care of myself is making sure that my soul, my mind and body is straight. So what I'm working on right now is my soul. I, I mean, I know what I believe in, so... I'm making sure that I read what I need to believe in, make sure that uplifted, I could uplift people, I can up, uplift the job that I'm doing, and that sort. And then my my mind will follow. And then my body, you know, I'm, I'm, I have started working out again because I got to make sure that, you know, I get back into shape because I don't want to get stagnant. <laughs> so I, I need to make sure that I'm eating better. And I, I've been eating a lot better now that I know what my intake is now. I'm not eating fast food as much because we ain't going out as much. Oh, and then mental health. I think, especially amongst black men. I mean, because I, I was, so I just, and I'm going to be real with you. I got divorced literally a year ago. So my mental health, and then after that, the divorce and the COVID hit, I, I hit in a dark spot and I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't have nobody to talk to. And especially as black men, we don't know how to talk. Well, most of the black men, we don't know how to talk. I had to learn how to, you know, get my mindset right. How to talk to somebody. How to make sure that me and my sons are straight. Make sure that that I could be a person that somebody, well, not accepts. I'll say, I'll be like, to make sure that me... And my sons are good. Yeah, I hit a dark spot and it was hard because, yeah, not knowing what's going on, not knowing the chemical balances, not knowing, yeah, all that, all that, it's just hard 
because we got to make sure that we're good. And then we're always put in the predicament to where we're supposed to know everything. We got to make sure that everybody is good. But sometimes, especially as a parent, we don't know how to be like, I'm hurt. I need to talk or I need, I need my time. I need to make sure that I'm good. It, it's, just, it's just hard to realize and recognize that. So I had to figure that out. And I'm glad that I did because I'm in such a better place than I am where, where I'm at right now than where I was. And I just thank God for that because that's probably the biggest tool, right, that we need, especially as black men, to make sure that mentally and physically that we're, we're okay so that we can produce and be the person that we need to be for the community. Yeah, you know, you you hit the nail on the head there when you're talking about physical, mental, and spiritual health because it all is so connected. It's so interconnected. And I find for me that, you know, the spiritual piece really, for me, it fuels the other pieces, right? So if I'm really making sure that my spiritual well-being is being taken care of and is being looked after, like that for me is everything. And so when when we talk about this work, oftentimes as, you know, I, I'm saying equity change maker, right? All season I've been saying, hey, you know, we're we're interviewing equity change makers, equity change makers out here doing great work in equity. But it's because equity needs to be built into all the things, right? It wasn't built in anything. And Ultimately, I think that, you know, when you're talking about being sure that you're good so that you can do what you need to do for community, that's such a key part of all of this because we're so community facing and you know that there's people that are looking to you and want to rest on you and the energy that you're pouring out. So in order for you to even do your work well, you have to make sure you're good, man. And it's great that you were able to take that time to, you know, have that personal time and understand how to identify what your needs were. Because I think, you know, really one of the things that we don't talk about enough in black culture in particular is the the well-being of our men. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, articles and experts and everything talking about, you know, women being well, women being harmed, all of that. But there's not enough conversation in the general discourse of things where it's the, the the focus is on the men. And so I love being able to talk to some of our men out here in community and find the ways that they are doing that work. And it sounds like you have a really solid grounding approach and strategy to you being like, yeah, I need to make sure I was good for my kids, make sure I'm good for community. You know, kudos to you for being able to even be transparent with me in this moment and share that. Because I think that who knows who may be listening out there right? And that that needed to hear that from you, right? And so that to me is also a part of it because we're collective beings. And so I want to dive in because, you know, all of us have like our own origin story. There's something maybe in your childhood, maybe, you know, when you were younger that had you really have a, a certain specific, unique lived experience that makes you capable and able and the one who should be doing the work you're doing now. So I just want to talk a little bit about your beginnings so we can understand more about who Charles is. Okay. So yeah, I grew up in a military home. Those that know, that means we moved around a lot. 
So I was born in New Mexico. I was raised in Louisiana. My father's from Chicago. My mom's from Rock Island, Illinois. People that know about Rock Island, that's the Moline area. They know about that area too. So I grew up in a really good household. I mean, I mean, they're, my mom's a pastor <laughs> right now. And then my dad, I mean, military. So he was always doing what he needs to do for the service. I had to learn a lot of stuff by myself because my father was gone a lot through the military. I didn't have to go through the things that I went through, but I chose to go through the things that I went through. And I think that's one of the things that you could choose to go through what you go through, or you could be an inhabitant of what you're going through. I chose to go through what I went through. I went through, I, I watched my mom work two, three jobs just to make sure that we made ends meet. I saw my dad do a lot of stuff. He's a man and he had to do what he had to do. Me, growing up, I wanted more. I always wanted more. So I always made sure that my mom was good and my sister was good. I'm the oldest out of two. So the things that I chose was necessary, not the right thing, but I chose it. But I'm glad that I went through it because the thing that I went through, I can help the youth that I'm serving now. I am gang affiliated. I wasn't in a gang, but I was affiliated. I've seen a lot of things that I don't know why God put me through that, but he put me through it to make sure that I know who I'm helping now. And I'm blessed. I'm blessed because I could I could talk to those that have similar situations and that been through it and then actually did it. I could talk to those and be like, look, what happened is unfortunate and you can either learn from it. You can adapt. You can adapt it so you can either make it grow or you can stop it. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make sure that it stops because now I'm talking as a black man. Being a black man, we have to make sure that we look out for each other because it's, it's a mental aspect. We were taught to be devices amongst each other so that we can't rise. So my thing is to break that curse. That's one of the things that I'm trying to do, especially as a black man, is make sure that we teach our youth, especially black men, to rise above where we're at right now because we could do so much more than what others think we're capable of. And even though we are, we're put in dif difficult circumstances, we have to learn, we have to grow, and we have to come as one to stop that cycle. Thank you so much for that and, and sharing uh, your beginnings. And I think you're just spot on, you know, right? That oftentimes when you're talking about any type of prevention work or intervention work, when it comes to youth, the, the respect is built into the lived experience. It's not built in, you know, by you thinking, oh, I'm coming in. I'm an expert. I got these degrees. I'm going to talk to you young folks. No, the what they see and what they really need to see. And I think what they respect is somebody who says, look, nah, man, I was out here. You know, I lived through this. And let me tell you, you know, on the other side of this, now being an adult myself, I understand it wasn't the greatest decisions for me then. And so the ideas of them being able to see you and know and learn through your own lived experience, the way that you approach them, that's really key, I think, to this work. How do the young folks respond to you in your role? And we could talk a little bit more too about your role because you're with the the public schools out there in Spokane. Let's let's set the setting so that people know exactly what your your role is and 
And and then I really want to hear how these young people are responding to you. Right. So uh, my position is a youth gang inter- intervention program coordinator. So what we do is the kids that are already in the school system, but are not, I won't necessarily being pushed out. They're not being pushed out, but the kids that are not doing well in the school system, we have another alternative program to where they can still be successful in their lives. My my thing is to make sure, I, and I noted, I know that school isn't for everybody, and that's okay. Just to make sure that you get your education is key, because in order to make it, you have to have that key aspect, which is education. So the the most powerful thing I believe is knowledge and wisdom. So what we're doing is making sure that they obtain the knowledge and the wisdom so that they can become successful for not just themselves but their families. My, my biggest thing, especially as a black man, is my legacy. No longer am I just living for myself. I'm living for my, my sons. I have two sons that I'm raising by myself. So if I'm a black man raising young black men, I need to make sure that they're good, not just they're good, that their, their kids are good and their kids' kids are good. So what I'm trying to teach our kid, the kids that I'm, I'm representing and that I'm, that I'm helping and it's not, it, the thing is, it's not just black men that I'm serving. I'm serving all youth. But I'm, my heart is especially to the black youth, especially to the black men. But um, going back to what I was saying is we, we have a GED program to where they, they can obtain their GED, which is just as equivalent to a high school diploma. And then that they are getting that. And then they're also getting job training services. They're also getting... You know, just resources that they need to make sure that they get to the higher level that they're they, that they want. So yeah, yeah. You know that that's important, and I I think in every school district needs these kinds of alternative programs. School is a business, right? And so every student comes in and brings that school money. Period. Point blank. It, it that's just the way that it is. When you're talking about public schools, I mean, clearly even private schools have adopted this model, right? Because they got parents paying a tuition. Every child that's in their school means more money for the school. But the ideas of understanding that you have to meet students where they are, I think is so crucial and key to this kind of work. So, I mean, your your lived experience says a lot. And you know, how the kids see you, I think is really important. So how, how's that experience been in terms of you being able to build relationships with the young folks that you're working with? So my relationship that I'm building, um, I, so even before the job that I was at, I was doing um, after school programs. I was doing before school programs. I was doing summer programs. And I, I think that is so prevalent to what we're doing because and it's a need because a lot of these kids need these programs just to stay busy, not just to stay busy, but also to help them grow. And the thing about my programs, I made sure that they were free. The reason why I made sure that they were free is because I wanted to make sure that even the parents and that, that's the biggest thing that um, I recognize. I know. And then how I grew up as well. A lot of parents can't pay for these programs that they need to make sure that their kids are going to excel in because the funds, the situations that they're in, whatever, 
they have to make sure that is good. So what what I want to do is our my my whole purpose was and my purpose still now is to make sure that the family, the whole family in the whole is okay. And that's how we stop a lot of the things that are going on right now is make sure that the whole family is okay. And if it's something as simple as making sure that it's free and that their kids are going to be safe and that they're going to be okay, then that's what I want to make sure that I could create so that our community becomes safer. Safer and then also it just becomes better. Well, well, free is part of that connecting with people where they are. I mean, it just is. Uh, you have to be able to reduce or eliminate the barriers that families may face in terms of accessibility. That is so key to this work. You know, and, and we there's a lot going on in the spectrum of what, what you're working in specifically. I think as a as a state, we're seeing a real rise in gun violence and over here on, you know, on the Seattle side, uh, in King County side, we're really feeling it, man. And, and you know, I just want to get your perspective on how things are kind of moving out there in Spokane. And, and does that mean that, you know, your work is more prevalent now than ever? Yes, it is. Because um, although we have, we've had had uh, uprising and uh, youth violence, we still need to make the programs and make sure that the youth are heard. So not heard, but we just may- need to make sure that they are wanted and loved. So I think we we have had a lot of, um, unfortunately, uh, uprising and violence. But um, if we don't make these programs to where they could come and have an outlet, then we're going to have even more. So my thing is, why not have or make sure that our communities are coming together to make sure that we have as many programs as we need so that the kids have something to do. I think that's that's one of my biggest things that I'm advocating for is like, we don't need to be a divisive community. We need to become a conclusive community to where we can come together. We don't need to re- reinvent the wheel, but we need to make sure that um, if our program doesn't work, that's okay. Then somebody, I'm going to advocate for somebody else's program to make sure that their program works for the youth so that we don't have as much as violence that we're having right now. Um, I think it's, it's key to make sure that we're all on board as, a, as one so that we don't see an uprising. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean... That really brings me into the the sense of community that's necessary when we're talking about caring for for our people, you know, and I love how you were talking earlier about uh, having the resources for the families, because ultimately, like my mom was a family support worker out here in Seattle Public Schools. So when I hear you say that, I'm just um, remembering, you know, her her approach to the to the work. And it was so much more than a job. You know, we take on a lot of these things and no matter where we're working or how we're moving, your job is rooted in the school system out there. But, you know, if if something is to pop off on the weekend, it's not like you're not, you're going to be like, oh, you know, that's outside of my office hours. You know, we just don't have that opportunity to say, you know, to shut it off um, at the end of the day, because it's a part of you know, uh, our community building piece, right? And I think that that's one of the greatest attributes that I've seen in so many of the guests of this podcast 
is that it doesn't matter where you actually work, like what pays you, but ultimately you have a sense of duty to the people that you're serving. And for me, that's one of the, the greatest gifts of, of what, what I'm saying, equity change maker. doesn't matter if you're an organizer like you, if you're an intervention specialist and gangs and what, it doesn't matter where people are working, but the ideas that, Hey, I really got to be here for my people. I got to be here for community. I'm going to do it in this way. But if I see a need over here, I'm going to try to figure that out. And then what you said there too, around the connectivity of programs is key. Because if something's not working for a family, but you know that they need this over here to have that insight. I used to watch my mom move like that. And she was one of those people that never, ever said, oh, that's not my job. And I think that that that's something you I could I can already see for you that is it's not something that you have the luxury of saying. Right. Yeah. I mean, so so tell us a little bit about the environment of the school district out there. You know, I'm excited because I did just come to Spokane recently this year. It was my first time out there. So I got to see the, the big red wagon and the park. And, uh, you know, I, I went through. Yeah, I, I had a, a good tour guide who took me through an area. I think it's the east side where that was like our central district, right? It used to be, yeah, really black. Um, and, and you sound like you were raised all over. So I got a couple things here around the environment. First off, you know, as an Army kid, you know, what had you settle in at in Spokane? Oh, Air Force. Yeah, what, what had you settle in uh, in Spokane? Yeah, like what, what brought you to Spokane? So what brought us to Spokane was the military. So uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and he was stationed to Fairchild Air Force Base. So, um, yeah, from there, he retired, and we settled here. So. And were you, how, old were you, how old were you when you came uh, to Spokane? We were, we were about, what, 13, 10, uh, 13 around 13. Wow. So you were still young. So you still got to, you got to be involved in the schools there. It wasn't like you went there and you were already like a young adult. So you really kind of grew up there in Spokane as well. Right. Yeah. And so the environment, man, I mean, gentrification hits everywhere. And, you know, one of the, the folks I was talking to out there in Spokane was talking about how, you know, the east side, it was very black and, you know, it's not so much anymore. It took me through the gentrified areas and then I went through to the to the older kind of neighborhood. And it's something that is so unfortunate that is hitting uh, our country the way that it is. But, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience growing up there and the, the waves that you've kind of seen of money flowing in and out of Spokane. Growing up in Spokane, it was definitely different. Of course, everybody didn't look like you, so you had to adapt. And that's another thing where you had to adapt is because everybody's not going to look like you. It wasn't blatant racism. It was more um, hidden racism. So we, we had to make sure that we, we knew that. I think definitely with the money, influ- or with the money we, we had a, cent- a central part to where we, we had a, on, especially on the fish street of the east side, where um, a lot of black-owned businesses, we made sure that, like the there was a barbershop, Larry's Barbershop, made sure that we put in that. We had Libby Teen Center. We had a couple other places where we made sure that, I mean, it, it was 
it was made for us. So we, we could uh, go there to relate. We could go there to, uh, to see people like us. We had barbecues, everything. But then, of course, like anywhere, like you said, we do have gentrification. And then where we have to make sure that, um, or not make sure, we have to um, adapt. So right now, I mean, the biggest thing that we're looking at right now is making sure that everybody is equal. Because a lot of places, they're, they're calling, especially the east side, where a lot of people are homeless. A lot of people are um, not getting the education that they should get. They're not getting the, um, the same capabilities as everybody else because of where they're at. So that, I think that's one of the biggest things that we're trying to make sure that, especially the east side, they're getting the same capabilities as everybody else, especially in the education system. We want to make sure that the uh, school the school systems are up to date. We want to make sure that they have the same books. They, we want to make sure that they have the same technology, all that. And I think that's the uh, biggest thing that we're we're trying to fight for is we want to make sure that we have those same resources as everybody else. So yeah, yeah, you you know that's. Um... It's just important because I think that there's areas where they don't get the intention unless somebody is really being very intentional to say, nah, man, you're not going to leave this neighborhood out. You're not going to leave this community out. Right. As things kind of come in, as money comes in, resources, all of that is so important for me. I, I, I find that, you know, that's that's where it was for me, too. I was drawn back to the area where I grew up in, you know, the central district and didn't matter that, you know, white money kind of came in and tried to like flood out our black culture to a certain degree. And some of it intentional, some of it unintentional, whatever, wherever they hit on the spectrum, the end result is, is that, you know, our, our people are getting pushed out and the, the culture and community that we built, it was getting fleshed out. And so now there's this complete kind of resurgence of black business and enterprise and culture and vibrancy that's happening. And it's so beautiful to witness because I think for a while there, people were just almost writing the area off like, oh, you know, hey, you know, big tech companies came in, you know, white folks moving in or other people with more money moving in, pushing other folks out. And so the ideas of it being, you know, kind of a target for that was real. And there was people that were just kind of writing it off like, oh man, you know, it's never going to be the same. But, you know, really folks are getting that understanding that, hey, nah, man, you know, it's here to stay. The ideas of the fabric of what made the central district, what it's always been is still here. And so that's really beautiful. Um, it's, it's, I'm happy to hear that happening over there too, that you guys are being uh, like, nah, you're not going to leave the east side out. We're going to make sure we got these resources too. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing because I saw the infrastructure out there and, you know, it's clear. I mean, there's, there's a, a, a real black culture and community out there in Spokane. Talk a little bit more about, you know, how you've experienced black culture because I think a lot of people really don't know that Spokane has a, a real thriving black community there. So, um, like I said, I came from a military family. We came into Spokane from Louisiana. So um, you, you have a lot of uh, families, especially black, that are coming in because of the military, because of jobs, because of all that. And um, the east side, I mean, you... you is is a key 
place, especially for black people, because, I mean, you have one of the first barber shops there. Now you have the Carl Maxey Center there, which is one of the first uh, black. He was the first black lawyer and um, a lot of I, I can't speak on all everything. But, yeah, he was one of the first black lawyers in Spokane. Then you have the Martin Luther King Center that's over there. And then, I mean, all of us combined, I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of things over there on the east side, but they're also making making it to seem that the east side is probably not the worst side, but it is the, um, there's a lot of crime and there's a lot of um, stuff like that. So they're, they're just painting a bad description of it, which isn't true because there's a lot of good things that are coming out of the east side as well. And I think what we need to, well, what I want to do is make sure that, yeah, the east side is a place where even though there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of beautiful things that are happening out of that as well. I mean, there's a lot of uh, beautiful, especially the youth. The youth are upcoming and they're they're doing a lot of things. We, we had a couple of my kids that are going to college. We have kids. We have so many different programs that are out there, but they're not funded as well as other programs because some programs get more funding than others. And I think that's one of the biggest things like some programs aren't getting funded as other because I don't know if it's the district that we're in, but we need to acknowledge that those programs, even though they are um, where they're at, they should get funded. You know, that's important. And I think it's really uh, on the backs of folks like yourself who are going to be the advocates for programs like that to ensure that honestly, that the resources are getting, uh, you know, balanced out and it's necessary because you never know uh, what program might benefit a young person and really help them change the trajectory of their lives. I mean, that's really at the, the, the center of it all. Charles, it just sounds like that's really what your work is about, right? And you come from this lived experience, you know, now you're in the, in the schools and Let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, uh, uh, how long you've been doing this work and and how you're able to measure some of the goals you may have. Right. Is it a numbers game? Is it, you know, this many kids came into my program this year? This many kids are now, you know, kind of turned around. How do you yourself actually see the success of the program that you're in? Uh, it's definitely about just making sure that everybody's OK. I mean, I've I've been doing the work that I've been doing since I got out of college, which was 07. Um, I've been doing the work since 2007. Uh, I I, I was blessed to work for Kimlin Haygood from 2007 to 2017 or 18. So, and then, like I said, I did free after school programs. I've done before school programs. I've done summer programs, especially summer teen programs, because I want to make sure that the kids they knew what they were getting into as an adult. So they could go to college. They could go to trade school. They could go to the military if they choose to go to the military. They could go to, um, there's just different avenues they could do, they could go to to be successful. I, I, my, my whole outcome of this is to keep doing what I'm doing now, is make sure that every youth gets the same capabilities, the same opportunities as every other kid. And I think that's the biggest thing that I want to fight for, that I want to make sure that our youth get the same opportunities as every other kid. Yeah. And and to me, I think that that's the key. I mean, even for me, when, when I think about some of the beginning of my community work, 
you know, it was really about, hey, my parents were gentrified from the Central District in 2003. You know, I was fueled by that, Charles. You know what I mean? Like, as I went back to school, I had a hiatus where I had my son. So I started off at Howard. I had a hiatus. I was back here and I was I was so fired up to learn how this could happen to my neighborhood, right? And so it made me travel the world, do study abroad, all over the place and learn how cities are built globally. Because I said, something is wrong here. And I think that that's really true in, in some of what you were talking about. Just being sure that, hey, everybody is getting that equal opportunity. And it just felt like my community wasn't getting that, right? Like, uh, you know, now you want to fix the cracks in the street because, you know, white folks are moving in. Now we're going to beautify the parks because these other people are moving in. And all of these things that were being done in my community were not being done when my people were there. And so it just felt so, it was like a, <laughs> the, the, the fuel uh, of my fire, to be honest with you. I was so taken aback by the fact that, you know, it, it was so stark to me how certain populations of people, maybe it's just about ethnic groups that get treated in a certain way. And me being fueled like that had me do all of this work that I'm doing now in, in community advocacy, you know, directing some of the media so people can understand these people behind these stories. At the end of the day, that what you're doing is should be heralded in, in, in your community. And I hope that, you know, through the relationships that you're building with families and with these youth and and with your colleagues, that you feel that because it is so necessary. And I am just grateful that you said, you know what? Nah, after, you know, I get out of college, I'm going to be working with the kids. And so I got to ask, I mean, what was it that made you really like say, nah, I'm going to go straight into, you know, working with youth. I'm going to be doing these programs. What had you thinking that, you needed to put your energy into these efforts, you know, maybe throughout your college years, maybe right after you said you started right after. So it maybe seems like you had an idea that, hey, this is where I need to bring myself to. I need to bring my brilliance here. Right. Um, it, was, it was growing out with mentors. I mean, one of the things that I learned, I, I had to learn things on my own. So if, if you have somebody that can mentor you, that could teach you, that will actually understand where you're coming through or coming from, I think that helps you become the person that you want to be. And I think one of the beautiful things about doing the things that what I'm doing is if it's not me that can help you, I'm going to find somebody that's going to make sure that you're okay. And the thing is, we as a community, we have to be acceptable to that. We have to make sure like that we help, that we're in this together to make sure that the youth are okay and that they have somebody to talk to, that they have these uh, accessible resources so that th that they could become our future. I think that's one of the things that I keep saying is our kids are our future. And if we don't have the resources for our future to grow, our future to um, become the people that they want to be, then we're going to fail as a society. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why I'm I, I chose to do the work right out of college is because I wanted to make sure that the kids, not even the kids, are my future is okay. Oh man, that's that's put beautifully, Charles. And 
I, I couldn't have asked you to answer that any better. And I think that so much of it is because it's it's clear that, you know, your passion and, and your love for this work um, is evident. I mean, you don't do something for 10 plus years without having that sense of passion and compassion for your community. And, you know, while I have you, I mean, I, I got to ask because, you know, we're constantly talking about this school to prison pipeline, right? And when you're talking about, you know, you as a, a, a gang prevention specialist, right? Like, intervention specialist at the end of the day so much of it is about getting a, a real disruption of what that pipeline is and it's one of those things where it goes back to money right because we're talking you know schools um uh, get uh, money per head but so do prisons right so the ideas of getting the youth to understand hey man if you're going that route, you're just kind of playing into the hands of, you know, what they what they're hoping you to, will do anyway, because then now they have you for free labor. There's so many different lessons there that can be plucked out of that. How is that integrated into your approach in, in connecting with these young folks? So, yes, yeah, that, that's a big thing that the school to prison. It's all about the resources as well, because, I mean, a lot of kids don't have the same resources as everybody else. So the thing is, like, one of the thing, one of the key aspects is the the school programs. You don't have the the uh, arts. You don't have the arts in there anymore. And a lot of a lot of our kids relate to the arts because that's what they love. So my thing is to make sure that school is not meant for every every kid, and, and we don't learn the same way. I think, especially if you don't have somebody that looks like you that you can relate to you or that can relate to you. One of the biggest things is to make sure that, that the youth has somebody that they can relate to. So and that, that includes the programs that they're going to. So if the kids aren't focusing on the programs that they're going to, if they're not, if they're not relating to the programs that they're going to, then they, of course they're gonna fail. And the things that we have to do we have, as a community, we have to make sure that the programs are for the, for the youth. It's clear that you have a real sense of uh, compassion and community mindedness for you to, to utilize your brilliance with regard to these young people and to bring, again, your lived experience to bear for them. And so much of this is about that one-on-one -on -one connection. That's actually who we are. That, that is our axiology is you know we're member to member type of people and so i i'm a, i'm just appreciative that you've been able to give us some time and, and really share you know the work you're doing out there if folks want to connect you know you, there might be other folks out there in spokane that are looking to connect maybe with some of these programs how do they do that, Charles? I mean, how how accessible are these programs? You talked about there's a wide variety of them out there making sure that they, you know, they're there to, to, to connect with families where they are. How do families out there in Spokane, if they have a young person who may be on the fringes, may need an alternative program to, you know, just typical high school or may need that mentorship that you talked about, how, how do they get connected? So one of the biggest resources is myself and that they could contact me and my information will definitely be with you guys. And then also um, I, will, I will make sure that they get anything and everything that they need because we have so many different resources out there that could cater to whatever they need. And if I can't do it, then I'm going to make sure that I get the resource that they need to get whatever, whatever, whatever they need. 
And I think that's the biggest thing that I want to do, especially as the man that I am. Charles, you're a phenomenal man. I got to say, your sons are lucky to have you in their lives. The the Spokane community out there on the east side, lucky to have you as this amazing specialist that you are in the schools. The school district is, is better off because you're there. And I, I got to tell you, I'm just thankful that we struck up a good conversation. You stepped out into your, uh, you know, your comfort zone here. Uh, with the podcast and I just so appreciate you for being you know authentically you during this episode I can't thank you enough man we'll make sure that you know folks have a way to contact you in our description and really I think it's important because you're doing the work man you're out there being an equity change maker whether you knew it or not and the, the beautiful thing is that it's coming from your heart and that's what matters the most. So Charles Williams, I cannot thank you enough for joining us on Equity Rising today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Well, you guys heard it here from Charles. Charles is doing some amazing work out there in Spokane, making sure that young people have the resources they need, families have the resources they need, and he's doing it all while being authentically himself. Uh, I'm so glad you guys were here with us today listening to me be able to chop it up with Charles. I can't wait to come out there and visit you guys and really give, you know, you can give me the tour, show me all the spots. I'm trying to come out there, but it's a beautiful thing to connect with folks um, throughout our state who are just doing the work. And so again, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Equity Rising. It's your girl, Trey Holiday, and I can't wait to bring you another episode. Thank you.